What's up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the EX Performance Podcast. This is Chris McNamara. In the room with me, I've got Jeremy Kane and then one of our athletes, Taylor Norfleet. This week, we're going to be tying in the last two episodes, which we're talking about athlete classifications and then the principles we use to train our athletes. And this week, we're going to take it into a little bit more of the methods that we use. So uh, sit down, grab a cup of coffee and uh, take notes. All right, so let's just start with uh, Taylor. Can you kind of give us your background, man? Tell us how you got here. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, so Taylor Northfleet, and like I say, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, um, man. I appreciate you know being a part of this. Um, so brief history for me, um, I grew up playing baseball. Uh, for the most part, that was my, my go-to sport. Did that in high school and through college. Um, after college, you know, I, I got – away from being forced to work out. So I, I kind of went off the rails a little bit, went in the opposite direction and got incredibly out of shape, got to about 285. Hell yeah. And then I uh, decided <laughs> the guy in the mirror wasn't the person I liked. So, you know, I wanted to start making some changes. Um, and to do that, I started off with really just doing the things that I enjoyed doing, um, lifting heavy stuff, working a little bit with, with diet, Mostly just a lot of hot sauce and tuna. You know, I had oh, no God. real background in anything. So things just, they started to change, but they didn't exactly optimize where I was at. Um, and then I worked my way through some some programming online with some seal fit stuff, some comp training stuff, um, just to get into the CrossFit world. And it was just a lot of volume and started to get sore and achy. And that's when I found Evolution Athletics and I started to work with Jeremy. Yeah, awesome. So obviously, uh, you know, varied background there, and I think it's it's big in terms of you know uh, some I can relate to, and that helps I think with the coach athlete relationship. I know you know Jeremy as well, being a sport athlete, and then coming into this world, the performance world, um, but also just for the audience, like tons of people have similar backgrounds, and and that's what we're going to get into today is some of the training methods that we use with Taylor um, and then just with our athletes in general. Um, so kicking it off, we just, I think we need to define a couple things, right? So a lot of people throw out terminology in this space, in the fitness space performance world, um, but they don't necessarily define what they mean. I'll give you a good example. So we're going to talk about periodization today. A lot of people use periodization as this big mythical term to talk about how they line everything up, how they do everything on a, on a calendar, um, but really let's boil down periodization is just how we structure training, yeah. right? So daily and weekly, and then in the big scale, like meso and macro cycles to use some of the terms, like it is just how we structure training. So periodization, when we say it today, is just how we structure training, um, weekly, monthly, that sort of thing. Another thing is we talk about training characteristics, every single training plan, whether they know it or not, because you mentioned some that are like group and, and template models, all of those do have some training characteristics. And there's four big ones that we talk about here. So it's overload. You have to stress the system, stress the organism to change. If you're not doing enough, then they're never going to adapt. And then if you're doing too much, they're going to be maladaptations, right? So overload to a degree, there has to be some form of specificity. When I'm training athletes to go to selection, when I'm, I'm training multiple athletes right now to go uh, race, if we're not like running races, if we're not running, I don't care how much you do on the bike, how much you do cardio other ways, it's not going to transfer. There do there does have to be some variance. 
I'm not talking about randomness, but if you do the same thing all the time, you're going to cease to overload the system. And then I do think it has to be individualized because all the things you just explained right there, sport athlete, thrower, coming into a world where there's not a lot of rotation in this sport. And then you were talking about you got up to 285 at some point, tissue structure change. Yep. Tissue structures change. All those things factor in. And then your diet. You mentioned that as well. I know you're pretty good at diet, but some folks aren't. So if we aren't individualizing the programming based off of how you're doing things outside the gym, we're going to be at a deficit for sure. All right. Um, So that's kind of the, the main characteristics. There's also, we have to talk about some of the um, terminology in terms of physical attributes, right? So Dynamax put out their 10 physical attributes, qualities a long time ago. CrossFit, I know, has taken them into their level one. I do agree with it. Um, you know, cardiovascular endurance, stamina, strength, flexibility, all that good stuff. So when we are talking about training today, we're talking about performance athletes to get a change in some of those characteristics. We're not necessarily... Um, going down to the molecular level and all that good stuff, but the training effects we want to have on those attributes, what we're looking at. Yeah, it's important to kind of clarify those because I think it's a difference between being a performance athlete and just sort of like a, someone who's doing fitness for fun. Um, performance athletes in terms of tactical, CrossFit, or even if you just want to be kind of a badass person and just kind of do things the right way, um, they specifically attack one of those versus just general physical preparedness, which is just kind of, hey, just be good at everything. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think starting with you and your background and knowing what I know about you, obviously, uh, when you came to us, you were strong as hell. No doubt about it. Strong as hell. At the same time, uh, some of your movement stuff, the first time I think I saw you work out might have been a Saturday workout, but for sure, survival of the fittest. Yeah. And I was like, look at this man, manhandling 200 something pounds. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Manhandling like you know, what'd you snatch 265 or something like yeah. that? Like just snatching it, muscling it up there. Um, and then crawling into our physical therapy office at some point in the competition to see our physical therapist. And it wasn't long after that he started with us, but you know, some of those things are, are lost in the big picture when we're talking about how do we add volume? How do we add intensity? How do we add those other things? When we look at the individualized aspect of stuff, Like my priority back to last episode is remove your limiters and I can already see you're strong as hell, but your limiter would be movement quality. And that's not one of those physical characteristics, but it's one thing that we will, you know, program around because we program for longevity overall. I want you to make it to 70 years old, able to move, not necessarily win the CrossFit games and then die the next week or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things too. You take steps back to move forward. So it's like, if you're, Great, you can snatch 265 with your lower back. But it's like, now let's get your overhead position fixed. Let's get your leg drive a lot better and you're moving properly. Sure, you'll snatch 235 for like a month or two. But then it's like three months down the road. Now you're snatching maybe 265 again or 275. It's still a pretty solid number for CrossFit. and But now it's way easier and it's just looking better overall. Yeah. And you're reducing the risk of injury too. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of leads into something we talked about before the podcast fired up. Um, but I'm a very data driven guy. And so, um, we talk about removing the biggest limiter in the chain and, you know, the, the question before this was how we use some of those things and something like movement quality is a little bit more subjective, right? Like I can watch you snatch a very high number, but I can just see in real time, I can see joint angles. I can see all these other things that just don't look right from a biomechanics perspective. 
And I know before the, the podcast started, we were talking about some of those things. How do we measure them? Um, and so, you know, that's a, a big thing I think the audience needs to understand is like when I look at the variables impacting movement, right, or how I how I shape a training program, um, we've obviously got volume. Everybody wants to talk about volume because it's easy to do more. But more is not better. Better is better, as the saying goes, right? There's density, like how much I will stack within a training program daily and weekly. Um, range of motion is huge, yeah. right? Partial, full, doesn't matter. Sometimes we will. I know about that. Yeah, you absolutely <laughs> know about that. You know, and sometimes I will intentionally program shortened range of motion things. or I'll intentionally program around injuries and reduce the range of motion. Some people might lose their damn mind because he didn't squat below parallel. Well, if the intent of the program is to fix certain portions of that motion, range of motion will do that. The frequency, like how many times a week are you snatching? If, if snatching is destructive for you, then we're not going to program it a lot. Um, there's speed of the movement, the load, obviously, the position of load. Like a lot of people will just say, well, squatting is a movement pattern that we all need to do. Well, front squat is different from back squat, is different from a zerker squat, different from a goblet squat. All those things are loading differently. Yeah, that's a squat pattern but they translate differently. Yeah. Um, Position of your body during that low bar versus high bar back squat. That's a different squat. Um, And then obviously the plane of motion, not as big in the performance world, just because uh, a lot of times we are training for an event that can take place in front of an audience with a barbell measurable. You know, that's where a lot more of the quote unquote real sports uh, (laughs) play in, right? You're a baseball player. Your ability to rotate is what separates you from from everyone else, like how you can hit, how you can throw, um, and how you can move in a 3D range of motion. And then obviously the stability of the environment to a degree. You're seeing a rise of the BOSU balls and all this other stuff again. But, you know, it does have to be factored. And I see that more in the rehab environment, more so than performance, but it's there. So those are like the 10 things that I look at um, in any given training program. And then that's how I dose the response that I'm trying to get. All right. So, you know, with that in mind, um, we're going to talk about Taylor a little bit just because, uh, you know, you're you're here with us and you've got a pretty unique story, but I think one that a lot of people can learn from. So when when you came to us, you said, obviously, you had done seal fit, done some of that before. Comp trains a very big one, very well respected in the community. Um, what made you want to switch to individual approach to your training? So for me, um, you know, you, you mentioned me coming to Survival of Fist, right? And yep. I remember showing up that day. And it was a humbling experience for me. Um, Came in about five percent body fat. I'm like, yeah. this dude's gone. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> you guys haven't it. seen Taylor. <laughs> Taylor's he's he's an Adonis of a man. So that, first of all, thank you. That's not 100 percent true. But, <laughs> so I, I came in um, to Evolution Athletics that day, and I was running around 235. Um, I was heavy. But I felt like it was an advantage for me, and I felt like I had a strength advantage over most anyone in the room. Um, but it was a very humbling experience to come in and to see athletes outperform me because of the limiters that I had. Um, you know, and and to see kind of how a more well-rounded athlete could just dominate me. Not only that, but also the fact that by the end of the third workout, I'd already hurt myself because <laughs> I had no pacing strategy. I had no idea of full sin, baby. Yeah, that's, full that sin. I, I am an athlete that likes to go dark. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's just kind of my mentality. And just so people out there know, right? So we had event one with a lifting complex, uh, his clean and jerk. 
I don't even think for his jerk, the bar was on his fingers because he can't get his front rack opened up. Yep. Um, at the time, much better now. Yep. Uh, the second was a pseudo triathlon where it was a row event with a bunch of stuff. It was about a 20 minute time domain workout. He came off the row after 40 cows in, I don't know, a minute and 10 seconds. And then, like, as a 230 pound guy, doing yeah. 40 toes to bar. It's a little rough when you row a 2,000 cow per hour. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then it didn't get any better from there uh, because <laughs> I had already taxed my system so much. I kind of strained myself in the third event and tried to fight my way through the fourth. Um, but needless to say, it didn't go the way that I had hoped or planned. But you know, to use that and to kind of jump into one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys, what does it take? Because I am I work in the industrial environment now, right? And we're a very lean Six Sigma driven company. Oh, yeah. Um, so we focus on like managing daily improvement. Because if I have one part of my business that is running at 170%, it's not good for anything else in the, in the rest of the business, right? I'll be building excess inventory. So like that's just in my world. And I don't want any of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that I can relate to myself as an athlete where I had very little cardio because I didn't like to run. Right. I had very little mobility because for me at that time, I thought stretching was just a waste of time. Um, and, and now to realize to go through that event and to see, I guess, total human optimization is way more than just how much can you bench press? How much can you back squat and how much can you try to rip off the ground? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, managed daily improvement is done on a hour by hour, day by day basis in my work environment for you guys as coaches and as athletes, how often do you look at the data and then process it for, for improvement of that individual athlete? A couple different ways, right? So there's a similar concept, right? Day by day, hour by day, right? Like if you're doing two days, you can process it by like morning and afternoon session day by day basis. The data becomes less like it's more or less if things are going in the right direction or if you had a good day when it comes to like recovery and sleep. So for my athletes and you are my athletes, I choose you. I can when I throw training sessions at you and I look at what I'm expecting out of the training session on a day by day basis. I'm looking for things to go terrible, right? Because if you do great, whatever, I'm expecting that. If you do what I expect you to do. Cool. Like, that's really what I'm expecting. If you come out and I'm expecting you get six rounds on a workout and you get two, something's off, right? So that's, I stopped it right there. On a week-by-week basis, more going in like two, three weeks at a time, I generally have a training block kind of laid out for you and what I'm expecting. And I'll look at the week as a whole, made sure from my perspective that it flowed correctly. And then leading into the next week, making sure when we talk about overload, that you're adapting to the overload because if you're adapting correctly, you're utilizing what we call adaptation currency. You're not wasting time outside of the gym, which is truly kind of when you get better. And then the next week I can push you a little bit more and you're doing it in a safe manner versus just like, Oh, you did 50 burpees this week, automatically go to a hundred. Well, say if you do 50 burpees and you do everything else correctly in the rest of the week, you recover well, sleep well, work out with the proper intensity. The next week I give you 75. In my head, if I'm tracking pacing per minute or anything like that, it should stay right on par. And so, and then the grand scheme of things, right? You've worked with me for about a year now. That's when I kind of look back and once in a while and like I'll throw a snatch at you. I know what it looked like back in the survival of fitness. And I can look now and be like, okay, so all this we're doing is, is adding up correctly. 
Yeah, and, uh, I'll jump in on that too. I mean, so obviously you two have been working together almost a year. Um, Jeremy's much more familiar with your stuff. But for me, globally, and when I first started this, I'll tell you where I went wrong. So I used to do um, a lot of linear programming. And so for the audience, linear programming is kind of back to overload that I was talking about earlier. This week, I'm doing five sets at X percentage of X reps. Next week, I might add percentage or I might add you know percentage of weight or I might add reps or something like that. And I just follow this linear plan and I'm supposed to keep comp- improving all the time, right? Not really. Come and so, <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's where early on I thought I was a big Windler follower, a big, you know, West side barbell, um, or I should say conjugate methods since we're talking about methods today, follow triphasic methods, like all these other things. And what we need to realize is, cause I also lean six Sigma guy talked about it last episode, um, remove the biggest limiter and the whole system is better, right? Kind of what you were getting at. The problem is, we are taking engineering and production principles and trying to apply them to a biological entity, a human. So it doesn't work in, in as clean lines, right? And so if we even look at programming overall, the step back one, a lot of the programming systems out in the world right now that are prepackaged are ones taking from like the Russians, the Soviet Dynamo Club. They published all their stuff in the 70s and 80s. They were dominating a lot of sport. A lot of US coaches looked at that later and were like, we'll copy what they were doing. And it was very linear and it was very, you know, I hate to say it, like a socialist system was like, okay, who, who did the who did the best? Copy what they do and mass produce it. Doesn't work for humans. So Especially even right now. Some really good water that they were drinking. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they, they might have been taking some uh, high quality H2O. But the problem is it doesn't apply. So I would say one of the downfalls I had early on was giving someone exercise program and then saying, well, you didn't progress. What were you doing wrong? It's a combination of both right? It's a combination of what the athlete is doing outside the gym, sleep, nutrition, recovery. It's a combination of what I am programming in the gym. And I'm chasing, I used to chase performance numbers as a coach. I wanted to see my athletes PR. So that was an objective quantifiable thing. It wasn't a qualitative range of motion thing. Now where I'm at in life, I try and balance the two. So it's a little bit more confusing because I'll program something and an athlete will do horrible. And I'm like, good, like in their own mind, horrible. Because I may be targeting range of motion, pacing, mindset, all these other things that you can't exactly put into the science aspect. It's a little bit more the art of coaching versus the science aspect. Yeah, and, and like based off of where you're heading with training too, I like to throw some of those tests at athletes. Like I did with Gabby yesterday. Like I gave her a 2K row. Like a wacky bath. I have not. (laughs) I haven't given her anything that would build the lactic power or lactic endurance in months. But she like matched her PR time. So what? When we talk about like different methods and what on how different types of training can carry over, she doesn't need to like go hard like that because she kind of knows how. So we just do a little bit of training. Boom! That two K row gets way faster because she's gotten stronger. She can breathe better all the different aspects of fitness um, have improved, which then kind of took her like best and kind of maybe brought it down a little bit, but we're not training at the time. So when we do train it, we'll just go a little bit. A little bit yeah. So I just want to touch on one of the things that I think both of you mentioned. So obviously the lean methodology doesn't always transfer 100%, you know, over, but what both of you touched on was you both set expectations for your athletes. Right. Mm-hmm. And and you both use that information to kind of adjust the future training. How important is it for the athlete to understand your expectation? Or think, is it the athlete's yeah. job set their own? 
I think it's it goes both ways, but I would say it's part of the coach's job to explain the intent of every single workout, right? The the longer you've been with a coach, the less you need to explain those things because you kind of get the flavor, you kind of get the theme. Like I've got some athletes that check in with me once a month and they're still trending up the whole way through. I've got some that check in multiple times a day and they're a little bit early on in the process. So go back to episode one, athlete classification, right? Beginner, intermediate, advanced, elite. The further they get up that chain, a lot of the times I don't necessarily need to set the intent. They know what it is. But at a beginner level athlete, understanding the intent absolutely drives the process. Because if I tell you 2K row, you may think, go dark. I am absolutely sending it. Yeah. Send it till the wheels fall off. However, <laughs> yeah, it could be a recovery row. At the same time, I could want you to have negative splits because of your limiter might be you overpace or you, <laughs> you overgo at the beginning and you don't pace. So you don't sustain throughout. So all of those things have to be described in the intent of the workout. And one thing I use with my athletes is it goes both ways. Every training session is a question. Every training session is a question is where you're at now, that day, that time, that movement versus where you're at in the overall grand scheme of things. Then with that question, we get a data point. 2K row. Okay, you do a 2K row. Let's let's just use simple math, seven minutes. So you do a seven minute 2K row. Sometimes that's awesome. I may want you there. Sometimes that may be a horrible failure of a day because you went too fast or too slow. But it, it is a question to you. How are you doing? How's training going? Where's your performance at? It's a question to me of how the training program is going. Once it's done, boom, data point. Next time you do a 2K row, data point. And I start to connect those dots. And that's where you see the trend in performance come out. I think even if you're if you're listening to this and you're not, like, I, I don't want to be a high-level competitive crossfit athlete or tactical athlete. like. When you head into your class workout, like you should probably still think the same thing, right? Like, or at least your coaches at your gym. Or I know if you're at Evolution, we do it. Even if we don't, right? Like, you should be able to attack a workout. I know you're starting to program for some people, and like, you should be able to look at a workout and be like, "I want to do this, right?" Or "I need to get this out of this workout." Or here's where I always kind of fail my workout. This is kind of where I need to attack versus just doing all the time what you're good at. Like, yeah. So I think I think another key point though is separating training versus testing, yep. right? So a lot of times, um, I know I did it specifically. I will use myself as a perfect example. Early on in this, um, you know, I was an outlaw way athlete, would would compete with those guys, and, and that was our crew. Um, every workout turned into a tester, right? So it was X for time, X for weight. It was always objective, which meant full send. No matter how I was feeling, I might approach that differently, a 2K row or whatever, but it was always that way. What I've gotten into more later in life is I'm about 10, 20% testing now, 80% training. And I think the distinction needs to be made because the approach to a training session for rowing is much different than for testing. And then we can even layer, you know, competition test on the competition floor is different than a training test in the gym by yourself versus a training, you know, test in the gym with your crew around you. They're all different things. And they all cost you adaptation currency a different way. Yeah. So you talk about adaptation currency. And so, you know, I've heard you talk about that multiple times. Our go-to. Yeah, it's, a, it's the go-to, right? But so for me, I look at it like an hourglass, mm -hmm. right? And you have energy at the top and then your hourglass is falling through to the bottom, right? And you can either split the bottom of the hourglass into the different things you're going to put your energy into, whether it's, you know, for me, um, I have... My wife, I love her very much. 
And I want to make sure that I, I keep that relationship strong and, and healthy, right? And I also have my job because I have to maintain my way of life. Um, so that's also very important. And then you move from that into what are the things that make me happy as a, as a human being outside of, you know, those two things, right? Is it for some people, it might be religion. For some people, it might be they want to go to the bar. For some people, it might be, you know, they want to be able to see extended family on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that? And how, because for me, if I decide, okay, I'm going to go full send into this. Yep. And I'm going to be the single best athlete that I can be. I want to make sure that there's some return for for my prosperity, for my overall well-being for my happiness right because i don't want to spend my entire life training to be a crossfit athlete when i'm predispositioned that it's not going to be for me Mm -hmm. so So, how do i make that decision as an athlete yep so one i would say be really in tune with your goals right and kind of understand where you're at right now um and then for you you're so what i mean by that if you're listening like if you want to be that crossfit athlete like you have to understand there's going to be a time where recovery and working out takes precedence over family right and like i'm young enough i don't have a family yet but like something for you that maybe you need to consider is like if you have a wife right great family at home let's say eight months out of the year that can be a priority right but if you really want to attack crossfit and let's say you make a sanctional like two months leading up right like that has to be your priority we went through with elise and jake like Jake getting ready to do some like awesome fitness stuff. And like Jake was flat out like, Hey, at least like I got to focus on this. And at least come up to me. He's like, oh, I got all the time in the world. Cause yeah. I could like yeah. take hours yeah, Jake's, off. Right? I don't got to be at home. Jake's so, one of my athletes. And, and literally we talked about, uh, Jake was deferring a honeymoon and some yeah. other things. So it's, he could, could quite literally focus on his event. And, and, you know, we talked about it some, I think it was last time, last episode, but, Goals versus priorities, yeah. and they are are tied to each other. So if you tell me your goal is like if you tell me your goal is to win the CrossFit Games, but your priorities don't match up with that, and what I mean, what you do on a daily basis, they don't show me that. You're never going to get there. And I hate to say it, but at sometimes, well, I'll say it at the peak end of performance. Doesn't matter what you're doing, you have to make some significant sacrifices somewhere else. And I will never be the type of coach to tell an athlete what those are we have to come to an understanding of I will not sacrifice these things. And let me give you a real example. Since we're talking about methods, when I shape a training week, I will put the training days and total time training based off the athletes priorities. Right? So I may want an athlete. We'll get into two a days. I may want an athlete to train two hours a day, preferably split by four to six hours based on what I'm trying to dose. And I may want him to do that five or six days a week. If he is telling me I am not training on Mondays and I am not training on Fridays because of whatever. And I'm not training at certain times a day. Cause that's when my kid's baseball game is or something. Cool, it'd be 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And I have to do the best I can in that given time. Part of that might be optimizing how he spends his time. Part of it might be, discussing with that athlete, Hey, you told me your goals on day one of our intake were this. I can tell you from my experience as a coach, that's not in alignment with what it takes to get to that level. Now it's up to them to make that decision. I won't make that decision for them. I'm going to do the best I can with it. But obviously if we've got someone who's just training for fitness, 
that's different than a performance-oriented goal. If I've got someone who's training for what I'll call readiness, like a tactical athlete, that's a different goal entirely. And it's kind of that balance between the two. What's your goals? Tell me what your priorities are. And then we can even get one deeper. Well, how do your habits support your priority? Yeah. Right? It's so like the three-tier model that we yeah. used at the camp. I'm not sure if you were there, but it's like, the what is your three priorities? What do you do to fix them? What gets in the way? What can you do to remove those? Like, And if you just write those out, it solves a lot. And, and that's kind of like you said, yeah. you're an Andy Galpin fan. Like, yeah. his snapshot that he talked about, like, it's a bit of an extreme measure. They <laughs> only use, like, 10 points. But, like, that's a great model of, like, hey, you got four things, right? What was it? Fitness, work, family, recovery. And you have 10 points. Yeah. List them out. And, like, he was a good example where he's like, yep. Work is eight points, and my family, and my kid are zero. Yeah, and like fitness is one. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Jesus. Like, well, but that's on an extreme measure. Yeah. But that's kind of like you look at Frazier. Maybe and it's like for one month, probably prior to the games, he's probably the same way. Where it's like nine is fitness, and like everything else is one or zero. Yeah, I mean, some of the some of the most um, highest level athletes that I've worked with personally uh, are boring. Right, they don't go out. They, they, right, they they. It's I will say it. The higher you get and the closer you get to those goals, it's unhealthy in terms of a psychosocial dynamic and even physical, right? Peak in performance, chasing a performance goal is typically not healthy and for longevity. And if the athlete is telling me they're training for a specific goal, we have to sacrifice some health and longevity realistically um, to do that. Like training for the CrossFit Games with the amount of volume, with the amount of... uh, extra things you have to put into your diet to just get your calories and other other things with it. There's ways to minimize it. It's not healthy, right? So we have to, you know, balance those things out.